This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are the promises regarding the Messiah. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. As for you, Bethlehem, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel. Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron. For this reason the Lord himself will give to you a confirming sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. For a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. Amenadab, the father of Nisan. Nisan, the father of Salma. Salma, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness. From this time forward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies will accomplish this. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Father, I don't understand. I don't fully understand it either. What I do know is this, is that God, this is what God told me. But what does it mean? It means the Messiah is coming. When? How? I don't know. I don't know. What do we do until he comes? We hold to these promises and we wait. David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of... I thought we were reading the Christmas story. We are. So what's up with the Jewish tongue twisters? This is the genealogy of Jesus. What's the genealogy of Jesus have to do with Christmas? These are the people who held on to the Old Testament promises. These people are the ones who studied and believed the scriptures. So? Don't you see how pivotal the role is in the Christmas story? No. What did these people do that was so important? They trusted. They waited. Come see. The first week of Advent, we study the prophecies. We get to look back and remember. But these people, they looked forward. Should have practiced the light. There we go. Till he comes, we wait, and we watch, and we hope. Thank you, Donnie. So this morning, before we jump into it, I'm going to ask my questions. Was you an opportunity maker, a taker, or a breaker this week? I'm going to hold you accountable. Did you make opportunities? Did you take opportunities, or did you break opportunities for Christ this week? I'm asking. Huh? Making it. Taking it. Good. And so um, here's my other question. The $5 challenge. How many of y'all took the $5 and how many of y'all has been able to use that $5? Huh? Good. 
good. Because that's what it's about. We're, we're making opportunities. We're making opportunities with that. And so if you didn't get that $5 and you want it, see me after church and we'll get you a $5. And I'll explain more about it if you wasn't here a couple of weeks ago. The word Advent that we're going to be talking about for the next four or five weeks, it means the arrival or coming, and it refers to Jesus coming into the world. And so that's the whole thing right now is we're, we're going to be excited and we're going to be talking about the events that led up to Jesus coming and what we're celebrating with that. And I give you all the definition of hope, and that's what we're going to be talking about this week is that our hope needs to be centered on Christ. It needs to be centered on God and his love for us. And as we have that love and we have that hope, then what should we be doing with it? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 7. We're going to start in Isaiah 7, and we're going to be another chapter over, but just turn to Isaiah 7 and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in both ends of the Bible, so that way you can at least be close. It'll be Isaiah 7, 1 Peter 1. Isaiah 7 and 1 Peter 1. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, as you're turning there, um, the Old Testament is full of rich history, but it was also the Jerry Springer show on steroids. When you really look at the Old Testament, I mean, that was some messed up people, you know, but they cycled, you know, and they would cycle. They, they would walk with God and walk with God, and then they'd start saying, get complacent and say, I don't need God, and they'd slowly start dropping, you know, and when I was growing up, I'll never forget they described it as a circle. You know, you start at the top at the penthouse where you're walking with God, and then you, you get complacent, and you start slipping, and you start sinning, and you start sinning, and then you hit rock bottom, and then you start restoration and reconciliation. You get back, and that's just what the Israelites was like all the way through the Old Testament. They was doing that. Kind of describes our world today, don't it? You know, we're doing this. And so... Um, and so that's what was going on. And so right now they're in the midst of wars. They're in the midst of a lot of um, slavery and stuff. And so Isaiah gets this vision. Isaiah, and he's prophesying this. And so in Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. You know, he's telling them. He's saying, this is how Jesus is going to get here. He's coming. He's coming. And this is what you need to look for. Flip over with me to chapter 9. We'll be in chapter 9. And we're going to read verse 6. And it goes a little bit further. And it says, For us this child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, so he's describing to us. He says, look, we have hope coming. We have hope coming. I don't care how bad it is right now. Hope's coming. God is sending us hope. God is sending us his son. He's going to be born like this. And this is what you're going to call him. And that's when things are going to change. And so, you know, when you go back, way back in, and you can really study in, on this, and I mean, it, it laid out generations, like, it, it was, all right, there's going to be seven to this point, and seven to this point, and seven to this point, laying out when Jesus was coming, and, and who the lineage was going to be that you heard him read about over here with Elena and them, talking about the, 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 the tongue twisters of the genealogy of it, and that's a good way to put it, you know, when it, all the, the names of the people. But God had a plan. 
It wasn't by accident that Jesus showed up here. So turn with me over to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter 1. And we're going to be in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 3. So 1 Peter 1, we'll start in verse 3. It says, Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. Father, and I just ask that you just show us, Father, what this hope is. Father, what this hope means for us. What this hope means for our world. And Father, just as important as the birth was, the resurrection, the blood is what gives us our hope. Father, we love you. Father, just change our hearts today. In son's name I pray. Amen. So whenever you read that in verse 3, this is what I want you to do. If you have a pen, underline living hope. Because that's important. Because it says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. That's what we're talking about. This living hope today. And um, what this hope means to us. You know, if you're a Christian and you have that hope. We talked about the words a minute ago. And all of us should have those words. You know, we should have that, what God means to us. You know, my hope, my hope is a lot of the same words that which y'all said. My hope is my salvation. Because his blood washed over my sins. He looked at me and said, Johnny, you are not that bad. Johnny, I will bring you into an eternal life with me. You just have to say forgive, you know, ask for forgiveness. You know, my hope is the provision like somebody mentioned because God has provided. And I could stand up here for months and telling you how God's provided for the Morgan family in ways that it don't make sense, in ways that the world can't describe. You know, I can tell you of times whenever I was laid off and I'd go to the mailbox and there'd be a check in the mailbox. And I have no clue why we got that check. You know, stuff like that. The provision. The provision that God's given me. And, you know, the hope. You know, what's the other things that that hope is? And so and that's what he's telling us right here. He says, look, he said, this is a living hope. This isn't something that's dead. This isn't something that, that just, you know, you read about. I'm giving you a living hope. I'm giving you an opportunity every day. You're going to see me. Some of us that did do the $5, you've seen that living hope, haven't you? You've seen that opportunity when you've looked somebody in the eye and it says, why are you doing this for me? I can pick on Frank. He bought hot chocolate, wasn't it? Wasn't it hot chocolate? He bought hot chocolate and went out and served the guys on the back of the waste management truck. Or was it waste management? I just make that up in my head. Waste management truck. You know, how many of us think in reality, to go hand the garbage people a cup of coffee or a cup of hot chocolate. And, but that's what he done. They saw hope. They saw hope, you know, and I don't know them. And I don't know how much details he got. I don't know if they're believers or not believers. But that morning, they saw something different. They saw somebody that cared. They saw somebody that took time out of their day to do something that probably nobody else has ever done. That's what hope is. That's why it's a living hope. And that's why he tells us this is a living hope because Christ is alive. 
Christ is not dead. God's alive and he's active and he's wanting us to serve him and he's wanting us to do these things. And so whenever you look at this and you start reading about it, um, flip over with me to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read just, first, just verse 15 right now. We're going to go back and read around it in a minute. But it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, do you hear that? It says, always, always be prepared. How many of y'all was here two weeks ago? What did we talk about two weeks ago? 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Do you think it was an accident that in... First Peter is telling us that we're to always be ready. And 2 Timothy is telling us to always be ready. There's no coincidence. God's telling us this is important. You need to be ready to share the hope, the hope that I have to offer. How many of us, how many of us, if we get real honest, we share that hope? How many of us that if we're sitting in here today and we call ourselves believers we call ourselves Christians. How many of us, when the people around us look at us, they see hope? Or how many of them look at us and see Jerry Springer show? Think about it. You know, and he's telling us. He's telling us right here in 1 Peter 3. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ. Revere Christ. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. They should be able to look at you and say, Paul, there's something different about you. Paul, tell me about that hope that you have. What, what, what? And it might not be that word hope, but they're going to see something different when we're living for God and when we're really got, we're camped out in him and we're focused on him, our lives are going to say something different. You know, there, there's that, that saying that was, uh, that floats around and says, you know, um, that when you live for Christ, you use words only when necessary. You still have to use words. Because when you're really living for Christ and you're really seeing that hope in you, they're going to come up and they're going to ask you, man, what's different? What's different? Your world is crumbling around you, yet you're still standing with your head up. Why? Why? Because my hope's in God. My hope's in God. My hope, it don't matter what happens around me. It don't matter if the stock market crashes. It don't matter if my 401 gets stolen. It don't matter if my house burns down. It don't matter if our sign gets knocked down. That's not our hope. Our hope's in Christ. And that's what he's telling us. He's saying, be ready. Be ready to tell everybody about this. So whenever you look at it, you know, I run across this quote and it says, as a Christian, my hope isn't wanting something to happen. My hope is waiting for it to happen. Do you hear that? My hope is not wanting something to happen. It's waiting for it to happen. I serve a big God. I expect him to move every day. I expect him to move today at 35603 Cox Avenue in Dunham Springs, Louisiana. I expect for him to move today in this, in this building. I expect for him to move tomorrow morning whenever I'm doing whatever I'm going to be doing because that changes every time the phone rings. But I expect him to move because my hope's in him. And he's telling me, Johnny, I've got this. Johnny, I've got this. You just have to lean in on me. And so, but do we really believe that? Do we really believe that our hope's in him? All right, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to make you get really uncomfortable. Look at the person next to you and don't leave nobody out. 
So like Mr. James, Mr. Jody, y'all need to look at each other. Because if not, y'all, because y'all have nobody sitting beside you. Don't leave nobody out. Look at the person next to you and say, Jesus loves me. All right, you got to say it like you mean it. Because I'm not feeling it up here. Say it like you mean it. Jesus loves me. And now look at him and say, Jesus loves you too. All right, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? The harder question, do you believe Jesus loves the person next to you? Huh? But Jesus loves us. Hear what I'm telling you this morning. Jesus loves you. That's where our hope's at. Our hope is in nothing else but to know that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Sitting in that duck blind yesterday, if I wouldn't have shot a duck, I'd have had the time of my life because I was sitting in God's creation. And if you've never done it, I'm sorry, you're missing Jesus. But you know, as I sat there yesterday morning, I kept thinking how good Jesus is to me. How good is he to me? And, you know, we was talking small talk. I was sitting in a blind with three guys I've never met that's in my lease, and we was talking. The only reason I got invited yesterday because I had a dog. And so um, we're sitting there, and so one of them looked at me. He said, you coming with us in the morning? And I said, well, huh, my church would probably kind of frown on it if I, if I skipped church to go duck hunting. I said, it'd probably be the best hunt we ever had, though, because I couldn't brag about it, you know? And he said, oh, what, what, what do you mean church? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh. And he said, can I come to your church? I said, no, I don't miss duck hunting in church. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me, and I laughed. I said, Absolutely. And so we just talked. We had a dialogue, you know, because my hope is in Jesus. And so when you start looking at this, and we know, because we just identified that Jesus loves you, right? And Jesus loves the person next to you. Let's back up to verse 13 now. It says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, he's telling us right there. He's saying, you know, who's going to harm you if you're doing my work? Who's going to harm you for telling people about me? But so what? If they do harm you, so what? You're going to be blessed. So don't quit. Don't quit. It don't matter if you suffer or not. Don't quit. He says, don't, be, don't fear their threats. Don't be threatened. Don't be frightened. You know, if I know, if I know, you know, if I'm walking into a situation, if I walk in with this big dude behind me, you know, 380 pounds, seven foot tall giant, I'm going to walk in with a little bit more confidence, right? But that's what God's telling us. He says, don't be frightened. Don't be scared. I'm with you. You just do what I'm telling you to do. Tell people about the hope you have. Tell them about me. Tell them about what I've done for you. And there might be some sitting here this morning say, I don't understand what you're talking about. You have to start with asking for forgiveness. You have to start with recognizing that you're a sinner. And Scripture, it tells us, and it says that we're all sinners. We're all sinners, and we're all falling short. You have to start there saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I've messed up. God, I know that I need you now. I need this hope that they're talking about. That's where you have to start. There has to be a beginning of the journey. 
You have to be willing to say, God, I need you. God, I need you to forgive me. God, I want you to become the Lord of my life. God, I know that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. I know his blood will wash over me and cleanse me. That's your beginning point. And if you're in here this morning, if you've never prayed that prayer, and if you've never asked God to become the Lord of your life, that's where we need to start. But then after that, it don't stop. After that, that's when you need to start growing in him. After that, that's when you need to start chasing after him. You know, you hear us talk all the time about Sunday school and small groups and grow groups and stuff. That's where you learn. That's where you start learning what this hope is. And you start breaking it down a little bit more. And you start living life with people. And as you sit there and as you do that, and that way whenever people ask you, you know, what, what, what's different about you? You can say, you know something? Pull up the whole my Diet Coke. Let's talk about this for a minute. I've got a God that saved me. I've got a God that didn't look at my sins. I've got a God that didn't sit there and make a check mark by everything I've done wrong and say, <laughs> seven out of ten, you don't cut it, buddy. I've got a God that says that he loves me. And I've got a God that says he wants me to worship him. And I've got a God that says that he wants to use me. Because when you start reading this scripture, it don't say anywhere that this is Johnny Morgan's job to tell people about the hope. It's all of our job. If we recognize that he loves me, and if we recognize the fact that we're his follower, then you need to be the missionary telling people about Jesus. And so when you start reading these words and you start looking at them, but what happens? We shrink back in fear. As I was studying, I run across this and, and it, it made a lot of sense. A person can spend their entire life in fear. They can sit around and worry about everything. You can fear being broke, being hated, being cheated, being lied to. Christians, don't let those things get to you. Stop worrying about what could happen or what someone might do and remember who you belong to. Look at what you have to look forward to in heaven. Enjoy life. And when challenges come, don't forget your hope that there is nothing that anyone can do to take Jesus away from you. Do you hear those words? There's nothing. Once you say, God, I need you and you become his, your name is written. And they don't leave. Nobody can, take, nobody can take it out of your heart. But we have to be willing to tell people about the hope. Because what it tells us in 2 Timothy? Be ready all the time to preach the word. What it tells us today? To be ready always to tell people about the hope. What is your hope in? See, because all of us, our hopes are different. There's going to be people that Donnie can sit down and talk to at his job that I won't be able to sit down and talk to. There's going to be people that Jason Zito is going to be able to talk to at his job that I'm not going to be able to talk to. We have to be willing to tell them about the hope. Because think about it like this. You have, you have, if you're a believer, you have in your heart what can change this world. You have it right now in you. But we can't be scared to take it out. We can't be scared to tell the people out there. We can't be scared to tell the people sitting next to us about that hope. 
Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? 